First John chapter 2, verse 15. That's where we are. Oh, I'm going to go ahead and put those things on because I, I really do see better with them than without them. Depending on the circumstance and the lighting is not the best right here. Oh, much better. Much better. All right. First John chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 15, and we're going to do verses 15, 16, and 17. We're going to look at these three verses today. So as we get ready to read these, what we see here is John continues to show us the promise that we have in Christ. And with revealing that promise to us, he's also warning us of those things that we are to not do, to not love, to not devote our lives to, to guard against. You know, the enemy is very, very uh, subtle. Uh, the enemy, and we know how he works because we saw this in the garden. We're going we're gonna to read the scripture today of the temptation that, that Satan brought to man in the garden and the enemy is very, very subtle. He doesn't come as some big scary monster because we would reject him. He doesn't tempt us with the things that we don't like, the things that we don't love, the things that we don't think are good. He tempts us with those things that we have a desire for, a thing that would actually be tempting for us. Like today, I have coconut cream pie at my house. And I'm going to be tempted to eat some or way too much. And the reality is I just don't need to eat coconut cream pie because I'm already sweet enough. Some of you know that. Some of you don't know that. And so, but my, my temptation is going to be to eat coconut cream pie. I'm, just, I'm confessing my sin to you right now. I'll let you know how it comes out next week, okay, when I see you. But the reality is, uh, you know, I had a friend of mine who went to a wedding in uh, um, Korea a few years ago, and he brought me squid jerky. He brought me a dried octopus. And I'm going to tell you what, I am not tempted to eat squid jerky. I did it once, and that was enough for me. I like calamari, but that was not good. So you know, what the, you know what I'm not tempted to do? I'm not tempted to eat squid jerky. I'm not tempted to eat too much of that. But coconut cream pie, that's something different. And this is what we're tempted with. Those things that we, that we want, those things that we find ourselves justifying, but they're not consistent with who God is. This is why God tells us, don't love the world and the things in the world. Because the love of the Father is not in those things. And so along with the promise God, John is giving us, there is warning here that we are to heed. So 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God 
abides forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for these great and precious promises that are given to us here in these very verses. But we also thank you, God, for the warnings that you give to us. Because we live in a world filled with temptation. And it's not you, God. And it is not even the enemy that is our worst enemy. It is our own lusts and our own desires that carry us away. Father, give us the grace to not justify our sinfulness, to not justify our love for the world. Father, give us the grace instead to love you and those things that you love and to shun and to reject those things of the world that would draw us away away from the love that you desire for us to have for you and for all that you truly love. Father, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so. Do not love the world. God is obviously, as I told the kids, he's not instructing us to not love his creation his, his world. God is commanding us to not love the world, and we need to understand what, what God is telling us to love and what he's telling us not to love. We need to understand what the world refers to here. So the word translated world in English is in this verse is the Greek word cosmos. So cosmos is the cosmos, the universe, the created world, the order as Carl Sagan, some of you remember Carl Sagan, billions and billions and billions of years ago, there was a great explosion. And from that great explosion, we have all of this. Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell. It just is. And Carl Sagan had this series about the cosmos. Well, this word cosmos in English is where we, it's this Greek word that means the world. It's translated world here. And it's where we get our English word. It can refer to the, the world, the universe, the entire created order, but it's a word that carries a far weightier meaning than just the universe or the, the world that we live on. The word world, as it's used here to refer to the creation, the realm we live in, is also a word that's used to refer to the people who live on earth, who inhabit the world. So it can mean the, the created order, the world, the creation. That's one meaning we see in Scripture. The word world or the word cosmos the, can also refer generally to the people who inhabit our planet or the world. And finally... It's used in a negative sense to refer to those who ignore or reject Christ as well as the system, if we can use that word, the system and the things governing those people. This is how this word is used here. Don't love the world or the things in the world. 
don't love the people. And you say, whoa, wait a minute, Pastor Jeff. We're supposed to love everybody. We love everybody the way God loves everybody. Does God love everybody the same way? It's not a trick question, though some people think it is. No, God does not love everybody the same way. Do you love everybody the same way? Parents, do you love the stranger the way you love your child? You may love the stranger. You may be hospitable to the stranger. You may be kind to the stranger. But I promise you do not love the stranger the same way you love your child. Now, where we get confused is we have to remember we're not God. Yes, we are to love the way God loves, and that means that we do not love everyone the same way. As believers, we have an obligation to love our brothers and our sisters. So as husbands and wives, I love I love everybody, but if I start loving everybody the way I love my wife, I'm going to get into trouble real quick. Because I am not commanded by God to love everyone the way I love my wife, and my wife is not commanded by God to love everyone the way she loves her husband. We are commanded to love everyone, but when we begin to love the world and the things in the world in the same way that God commands us to love our brothers, our sisters, our husbands, our wives, our children, the family of God, when we begin to love the world in that way, we're in sin. This is not my opinion. This is what the Bible teaches. And this is what John is saying. Guard yourself. Because when you start loving the world the way you're supposed to love the things that are not of the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And so we need to look at those things and begin to think about those things. And so this word here for world is used negatively to describe those things, those people, that system that's governing those things that are opposed to God and opposed to his kingdom. The world is referring to those negative things opposed to God, specifically the spiritual system governing the world and the people of it. The people of it, not in it, of it. We're in the world. There's lots of people in the world. There are those in the world and there are those of the world. We're not to love those that are of the world the same way we love those who are in Christ. The world as presented here by John stands in opposition to God. The world system is in direct opposition to Christ and his kingdom. They are contrary to one another. The things of the world are not of the Father. The ways of the world are not the ways of the kingdom. The systems governing and ordering the world are not those of the kingdom of God. This is why Jesus said when you pray... Pray your kingdom come, your will be done. He said, the disciples said, teach us to pray, Lord. He said, when you pray, and he taught them what we call the Lord's Prayer. 
And in that prayer, Jesus said, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus made it clear. This is how we're to pray. What are we praying? We're praying that the kingdom of God come and take over the world. And when we love men who are of the world, the the best thing we can do in loving them is to pray and to work for the kingdom to come so that they would be ultimately swallowed up by the kingdom. But we don't devote our lives to them the way we are to be devoted to God and the people of God and those things that, that are our first responsibility. Jesus told Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. That didn't mean the kingdom wasn't coming. It just meant it's not of this world. And this is why Jesus said the, these things. If it was of this world, they'd come and get me. But, but my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate couldn't understand it. And the people of Israel couldn't understand it. But what Jesus did through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, through his ascension, was to, to actually bring the kingdom of God in full force, in full effect, to fill the earth and overtake, fill this world. John 17, 14, in Jesus' prayer, before he goes to the cross, what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus, Verse 14, I have given them, talking about his disciples, which refers to us as well. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. As God's children, we live in the world, but we're not of the world. Therefore, having been delivered from this world with its lusts, we no longer love the world or the things in the world. We now have in Christ the love of the Father, meaning our love for the Father. We have the love of the Father poured into us so that we can have the love of the Father given back to Him. And in giving back our love to the Father, that means we're going to obey His Word and we're going to love the things and be devoted to the things that God loves. And God has shown us in His Word. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, John writes. The love of the world is in direct opposition to the love of the Father. The love of the Father is not in those who love the world. If it were, they would love the Father. When it talks about the love of the Father, this is the reality that God has poured His love in us. How has He done that? Romans chapter 8, He put His Spirit in us. How does Christ dwell in us? He dwells in us by the Spirit. And when... The Bible says he poured his love into us. He poured his spirit into us. And this is why we are now called children of God. It's why from our hearts we can cry out, Abba, Father. We are truly devoted to the things we truly love. People tell me all the time what they believe. But you know what? You, you know how you can tell what people really believe? By what they do. People tell me all kinds of things about how they love certain things and certain people, but you know how you can really tell how someone loves? By what they truly devote themselves to. That's how you know what they love. And this is why John is saying, those who love the world and the ways of the world 
and are devoted to the things of the world, those who are, are not truly in love with God. That's why I said, if you say you love God, but you hate your brother, the love of God's not in you. Those who love the Father and His ways are devoted to the things that the Father loves, devoted to the Word of God, the Scripture, the commands, the things that God tells us and commands us, the ways we are to live consistent with Him. God created the world we live in for our enrichment, for our enjoyment, and for His glory. It's filled with beauty and blessing that abound. We are to enjoy His creation, be thankful for it, and for all the abundance that fills it. Yes, and while we are to enjoy the world we live in, we are not to love those things and those ways of this world system that are contrary to the Word of God, the kingdom of God, and the Christ of God. We must not love this world or this world system corrupted by sin and death. To love those things and those ways of the world that are contrary to the Creator means the love of the Father is not in us. Very simply, if the love of the Father is in us, we will love all the things and all the ways that the Father loves. We will love Him and we will love our brother. All that is in the world is not of the Father, John writes. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. John defines for us what the world is and what it means to love the world. The love of the world is what drives sinful man to devote himself to the corruption that is in the world through lust. Love, not lust, is of the Father. The word translated lust is sometimes translated desire. You might have, uh, and we're going to go through some scriptures here in just a moment that deal with lust. Desire is not inherently negative or sinful, but the words lust or desire as used in this verse, as used here in John, convey a sinful desire, a wanton lust for those things that are not of God, those things that are not consistent with His ways and with His kingdom. The scripture has a lot to say about lust. There are many forms of lust. The lust of the world is much more than just sexual immorality. It is all of man's desires that oppose God's desires for man. To me, that's a very simple definition of lust. Lust is man's desires that oppose God's desires for man. The lust of the world stands opposed to the will of God. Here are some verses to note. Romans 6.12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. So today when I lust for coconut cream pie, I need to control my lust, my desire. Galatians 5.16 and 17, Paul writes, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Don't follow your lusts. Follow God. 
If you're wondering whether your lust is sinful or not, go to God's Word. It'll tell you. It will absolutely show you. Then you have to submit to the truth. James 1.14, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires or his own lust. My New King James has the word desire there, but it's the very same word translated lusts. We're drawn away by our own lust and, and, and enticed. 1 Peter 4.2, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. 2 Peter 1.4, by which have been given to us, that's us, exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Solomon wrote 3,000 years ago, there is nothing new under the sun, and that still holds true today. The temptations that came to man today are no different than have been since the beginning. The packaging may be different, but the content is the same. Sin has not changed, nor has the temptation for sin. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, this is all that is in the world that tempts men to go astray. It's not new. It was there in the beginning with the first man in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Here's the account from Genesis of the temptation. So when the woman saw that the tree, pay attention here, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Back in the garden with the first man and the first woman, we see the temptations to which the woman succumbs. What were they? The very things John's writing about here. The lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The temptations Eve gave herself to are the very same ones that we're looking at in these verses. The woman saw the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh. The woman saw that, that it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. And the enemy brought all three of those to bear in that temptation. Man lusted after what he did not need. Man lusted after what he was expressly commanded not to touch. God had already given them more than they needed for food. He placed them in a garden filled with beauty and all that was pleasant to the eye. God created man in his own image. The wisdom that man would gain was not to come from the fruit of a tree, but from the fruit of the Spirit. Don't know what's happening here. But we overcome temptation. We overcome temptation as we walk in the Spirit. So just as the first man was tempted, we are tempted still to this day by the very same things that we see 
happening in the garden, and this is why John is writing to us today. Every temptation, every sin of man we fall into meets one, if not all, of these categories. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And again, we overcome temptation through lust as we walk, submitted, surrendered to the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. As we walk surrendered to the control of the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Instead, we will walk in love, the love of the Father. He who does the will of God, John writes, abides forever. Verse 17, the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The world is passing away. This is a great promise given to us by God. He who does the will of God abides forever. And John contrasts abiding forever in our obedience to God with the world that is passing away. The world is passing away. John is not predicting the end of the physical world here. He's talking about that world system that we mentioned before, the world. He's still talking about the same thing here. This world system opposed to the kingdom of God, opposed to the Christ of God, this world system founded upon sin and death, brought about by the curse, that is the world that is passing away and will one day be no more. The victory of Christ in his atoning sacrifice on the cross, in the power of his resurrection, and in the ascension to the Father to receive the kingdom has sealed the passing away of the world. This is not an if. This is a win. A win in both sense of the word. W-E-H-E-N and W-I-N. It's a win-win. We've already won. We don't know when the world as we know it will pass out of existence and the kingdom of God, having swallowed up the entire creation, there will be no vestige of the curse left. The last enemy put underfoot will be death. That is coming. It's not if it will really happen. It's when it will happen. And John is telling us here, the world is passing away. Jesus instructed us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The coming of the kingdom is the passing away of the world. John was aware of the kingdom coming. That's why he said the world is passing away. Isaiah wrote these words 500 years before the birth of Christ, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. This is the foretelling of the son that would be born with the government upon his shoulders. This is Jesus. This is the Jesus who lives in you. We're going to see in this very letter, John says, the greater one dwells in you. Don't fear the world. Don't fear Satan. He is a defeated foe. He can do nothing to you. With the birth of Jesus... 
came an acceleration of the passing away of this world system through the cross and his resurrection. His victory is sealed and the fate of this world with it. Listen to the words of Jesus as he's preparing to go to the cross. John 12, 31 and 32. Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men, all peoples to myself. Well, Jesus spoke those words 2,000 years ago. Somewhere in the proximity of Jerusalem, before its destruction... And here we are on the other side of the globe, some 2,000 years later, recounting and talking about those very words he spoke, proving that those words have come true. The judgment of this world has taken place. The evil one has been cast down. And we are here to do what? We are here to see this world pass away through the kingdom of God's advancement. We're here to see the kingdom of God swallow up this world. We are not here to coexist with the world. We are here to overthrow the world. Now, there are a lot of people in Christendom today, and I'm going to say Christendom. They might be in the church, but they're not Christians. If you're a Christian, if you're a born-again child of God, you need to know that you've been put on this earth for such a time as this, to see the kingdom of God swallow up the world. And if you love the world, then you're going to work to that end. We're not saviors. Jesus is the savior. We're messengers. And we give the message and we leave it up to God. To what happens with the heart of the person we told the message to. But our obedience... Not your persuasiveness. Our obedience to God is the key that is going to usher in the kingdom and see the world swallowed up. John recorded those words of Jesus in the gospel bearing his name. And he's speaking of here, Jesus is speaking here of his kingdom advancing. And so we can say with confidence the world and its values are passing away. The one who obeys the will of God will abide forever. That's a promise God gives. And you might say, well, listen, as I watch the news and read the newspaper and listen to everything going on, it sure doesn't seem like the values of the, of the world are passing away. It seems like they're getting stronger. In every war, there are battles won and battles lost. We are in a spiritual battle right now. And I'm not telling you how that battle will end in our lifetime, but I am telling you the outcome of the war is not in question. There is no question we win. There is no question the kingdom of God will swallow up this world. It will pass away. The question is, you and I have been put on this earth for such a time as this. And we've been put here to advance the kingdom. We're not here to talk people into believing. We're not here to argue with people. We're here to obey God. That's why we need to be in the word of God, reading the word of God, reading his word. 
I mean, listening to me, me is fine. I hope you listen to the podcast. I hope you follow us. I hope you're here listening. But I'm telling you what, listening to a sermon, listening to a teacher is no substitute for reading the Word of God. All I'm doing is regurgitating and giving you the Word of God. It's not my Word. It's God's Word. And God has given you a Bible, the Scripture, and you need to be taking that scripture and making sure that what I'm telling you is actually in the book. But most importantly, you need to be washing your mind and washing your heart with the word of God. You need to be reading it. You need to be hearing the unadulterated, unabridged word of God so that you know what you're supposed to be doing. Because there's a lot of conflict out there. Well, the Bible tells me to do this, but then it tells me to do that. So it doesn't really matter what I do. No, that's not true. Because the Bible never contradicts itself. This is why I started out by talking to you about loving the world. Yes, we're to love the world. Yes, we're to love all men. But don't confuse that with how you are to love them. And how that love can turn into disobedience instead of obedience to God. And this is exactly what John is warning the believers here about. The world and its values are passing away. The one who obeys the will of God will abide forever. Thanks be to God. That's a promise God's given to you. It's a precious promise. Obey him. And you're going to know how to obey him because you're going to put the word in you. You're going to hide the word in your heart, as David said, so that I might not sin against you. Let's prepare to come to his table and give him thanks for the promise made sure in Christ. Every day, all throughout the day, we encounter the temptation, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Sometimes they're easy to resist, sometimes they're not. Sometimes we seek no justification to shun them. Sometimes we're looking for justification to embrace them. And this is where we all have to go to the Word of God and say, God, here is your Word. The Spirit of God in you. Remember, believer, the Spirit of God dwells in you. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will teach you. He'll show you. Walk according to the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We can say that. We can believe that. We can actually do that because of what Jesus has done for us in giving up his body and pouring out his blood. This is a table of thanksgiving. Let's come to this table. Let's thank him for his promise given to us in Jesus. Christian, welcome to the table. Let's all stand. Your charge is really simple today. You've already heard it numerous times. Love God, not the world or the things in it. Remember, the world is passing away, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. Do the will of God. Obey his commands. Walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And remember always, Jesus is king. We win. I said earlier that we're in a battle, and every war has battles, and some are won and some are lost. But I want you to understand 
even when it appears we lose a battle, we lose a battle the same way it appeared Jesus lost the battle when he died on the cross. In other words, we really don't lose ever. The world may think they have defeated us, but there is no defeat in Christ, even if it costs our life. Amen? Have a great day. God bless you.